Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. Well, we're going back today to the sermons of uh, Charles Spurgeon on sovereignty. And today's uh, message is called Distinguishing Grace. It was delivered February 6, 1859 at New Park Street Chapel, Southwark, London, England. His text is 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? Or as it is in the Greek, for who distinguisheth thee? Who giveth thee distinguishing and discriminating mercy? Who maketh thee to differ from another? Pride is the inherent sin of man, and yet it is of all sins the most foolish. A thousand arguments might be used to show its absurdity, but none of these would be sufficient to quench its vitality. Alive it is in the heart, and there it will be till we die to this world and rise again without spot or blemish. Yet many are the arrows which may be shot at the heart of our boasting. Take, for instance, the argument of creation. How strongly that thrusts at our pride. There is a vessel upon the potter's wheel. Would it not be preposterous for that clay which the potter fashioneth to boast itself and say, Oh, how well I am fashioned! How beautifully am I proportioned! I deserve much praise. Why, O oh lump of clay, whatever thou art, the potter made thee, however elegant thy proportions, however matchless thy symmetry, the glory is due to him that made thee, not to thyself. Thou art but the work of his hands. So let us speak of ourselves. We are the thing formed. Shall we say of ourselves that we deserve honor because God hath formed us excellently and wondrously? No. The fact of our creation should extinguish the sparks of our pride. What are we, after all? but as grasshoppers in his sight, as drops of the bucket, as lumps of animated dust. We are but the infants of a day when we are most old. We are but the insects of an hour when we are most strong. We are but the wild ass's colt when we are most wise. We are but as folly and vanity when we are most excellent. Let that tend to humble us. But surely, if these prevail not to clip the pinions of our high-soaring pride, the Christian man may at least find its wings with arguments derived from the distinguishing love and peculiar mercies of God. Who maketh thee to differ from another? This question should be like a dagger put to the throat of our boasting. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? It would be like a sword thrust through the heart of our self-exaltation and pride. We shall now for a moment or two endeavor to put down our pride by observing wherein God hath distinguished us and made us to differ, and then by noticing that all this cometh of him and should be a reason for humiliation, not for boasting. Many of us differ from others in God's providential dealings toward us. Let us think a moment how many there are of God's precious and dearly beloved children who at this moment 
are in the depths of poverty. Now, they're not walking about in sheepskins and goatskins, persecuted, afflicted, and tormented. No, but still they are hungry, and no man gives them to eat. They are thirsty, and no man furnishes them with drink. Their lives are wasted in poverty, and their years in distress. Some there are of God's children who were once an influence, and had influence and affluence, but have been suddenly plunged into the lowest depths of penury. They knew what it was to be respected among the sons of men, but now they are among the dogs of the flock, and no man careth for them. And there are some of us who are here present, who have all that heart can wish. God hath given us food and raiment, the lines have fallen unto us in pleasant places, and we have a goodly heritage. Let us gratefully ask, Who maketh us to differ? Let us recollect that all we have is the gift of his providence. Not to you, O my hands, do I sacrifice, because you have toiled for bread. Not to you, O ye brains, will I offer incense, because you have thought for my daily livelihood. Not to you, uh, O my lips, will I offer my adulation because you've been the means of furnishing me with words? No, no, unto God, who giveth power to get and to have and to enjoy. Unto him be all the praise for what he hath done for us. Never let our songs cease, for his goodness is an ever-flowing stream. And perhaps none of us can ever know until the great day shall reveal it, how much some of God's servants are tried. To this day they have perils by land, and perils by sea, and perils by false brethren. To this hour they are pinched by want, they are deserted by friends, they know what despondency means, and all the ill which dejection and disappointment can bring to them. They have dived into the lowest depths of the sea of trouble, and have walked for many a league over the hot sand of the desert of affliction. And if God hath delivered us from these things, and hath made our path more pleasant, and hath led us beside the still waters and into the green pastures, if he hath distinguished us by the common gifts of his providence above many others of his children, who are far better and far more holy than we, what shall we say? It is only owing to his grace towards us, and we will not exalt ourselves above our fellows, and we will not be high-minded, but condescend to men of low estate. We will not lift our necks with the proud, but we will bow down our brows with the humble. Every man shall be called our brother, not merely those who are arrayed in goodly raiment, but those who are clothed in the habiliments of toil, they shall be confessed to be our kindred, sprung from the same stock. For what have we that we have not received? And what maketh us to differ from another? I wish that some of the stiff-necked gentry of our churches would at times recollect this. Their condition is smooth as oil and as soft as young down but their hearts are as high as poplars, and their manners as stiff as hedge stakes. 
There have been many who would do well if they would learn that they have nothing beyond what God has given them. And the more God has given them, the more they are in debt. Why should a man boast because he is deeper in debt than someone else? (laughs) Do the debtors in the queen's bench say to one another, You are only a hundred pounds in debt, and I a thousand, and therefore I am a, a greater gentleman than you? No, I think not. But nevertheless, if they did so, they would be as wise as men who boast beyond their fellow creatures because they happen to have more rank or wealth, honor and position in this world. Who maketh thee to differ from another? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Uh, But the best way for you to feel this part of the discourse is to go tomorrow into the hospital and walk along the wards, and see how poor men's bodies suffer, and then go into the operating room and see what flesh and blood may have to endure. And then, when you have done, go around the neighborhood to see the sick, who have lain for ten or twelve or fifteen years upon the same bed. And after that, go and visit some of God's poverty-stricken children, who just exist in this world, and it is but a bare existence maintained on bread and butter and and a little tea, but too little of, of even such things as those. Go and see their poor, miserable, unfurnished rooms, their cellars, their, their attics, and that will be a better sermon to you than anything I can utter. You will come home and say, O oh my God, I bless thee for thy kindness towards me. These temporal mercies which I once thought so little of, I must heartily bless thee for. I must thank thee for what thou hast given to me, and I will ascribe it all to thy love. For thou makest me to differ. I have nothing that I have not received. But this is not the most important point for us to observe. We are now going to look at uh, not matters of providence, but the things of God's grace. Here it is that We who are now assembled as a church have most reason to bless God and to say, Who maketh us to differ from others? Take, my dear friends, in your mind's eye, the cases of the careless, the hardened, and the thoughtless. Of even this present congregation, side by side with you, my brother, there may sit a man, a woman, who is dead in trespasses and sins. To such the music of the gospel is like singing to a dead ear, and the dropping of the word is as dew upon a rock. There are many in this congregation whose position in society and whose moral character are extremely excellent, and yet before God their state is awful. They attend the house of God as regularly as we do. They sing as we sing, sit as we sit, and come and go as we do, And yet are they without God and without hope in the world, strangers from the commonwealth of Israel, aliens from the covenant of promise. And yet what maketh us to differ? Why is it that I am this day but rejecting it in my inward heart? Why is it that I have not been suffered to reject the invitation of Christ, to despise his grace? And to go on, Sunday after Sunday, hearing the word, 
and yet not sitting down a callous hearer hardened under the gospel? Why am I not at this very hour hearing the word with my youthward ear, being like the deaf adder to it? Oh, have I made myself to differ? God forbid that such a proud, blaspheming thought should defile our hearts. No, beloved, t'was the same love which spread the feast that sweetly forced us in. Else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. The only reason, my brother, why thou art at this time an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ, a partaker of sweet fellowship with Jesus, an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven, is because he hath made thee to differ. Thou wast an heir of wrath, even as others, born in sin and shapen in iniquity. Therefore must thou give all the glory to his holy name, and cry, Not unto us, not unto us, but unto thy name be all the praise. Even this one thought, when fully masticated and, and digested, might feed up our gratitude and make us humbly bow before the footstool of God's throne with joyful thanksgiving. Well, will you please, however, to think of other cases? Who maketh thee to differ from others of this assembly, who are more hardened than those to whom we have alluded? There are some men and women of whose salvation, if it were to be brought by man or wrought by man, we must indeed utterly despair, for their hearts are harder than the most stubborn steel. The hammer of the word makes no impression on such souls. The thunders of the law roll over their heads, but they can sleep in the midst of the tumult. The lightnings of Sinai flash against their hearts, but even those mighty flames seem as if they recoiled from the attack. Do you not know such? They are your own children, your husband, your wife, some of your own family, and as you look upon them, though you have longed and prayed and wept and sighed for their souls, you're compelled to say in your heart, I, I half fear that I shall never see them converted. You say with sorrow, Oh, if they are saved, it will be a wonder of divine grace indeed. Surely they will never yield their souls to God. They seem as callous as if their conscience were seared with a hot iron. They appear to have the stamp of condemnation on their brow, as if they were marked and sealed and had the earnest of the pit upon their hearts before they came there. Ay, but stop. Who maketh thee to differ? Why am I not at this day among the most hardened of men? How is it that my heart is melted so that I can weep at the recollection of the Redeemer's suffering? Why is it that my conscience is tender and that I am led to self-examination by a searching sermon? How is it that I know how to pray and to groan before God on account of sin? What has brought the water from these eyes but the self-same power which brought the water from the rock? And what hath put life into my heart but the self-same omnipotence which scattered manna in a hungry desert? Our hearts had 
still been like the wild beasts of the forest if it had not been for divine grace? Oh, I beseech you, my dear friend, every time you see a hardened sinner, just say within yourself, there's the picture of what I should have been, what I must have been, if all subduing, all conquering love had not melted and sanctified my heart. Take these two cases then, and you have, heaven knows, reason enough to sing the praises of sovereign grace. But, uh, but now another, the, the lowest class of sinners. Uh, they do not mingle with our congregations, but are to be seen in our back streets and lanes, and sometimes in our highways. How frightful is the sin of drunkenness, which degrades a man into a beast, which sinks him lower than the brutes themselves. How shameful is the iniquity of blasphemy, which without any object or any change of profit brings a curse upon its own head. How awful are the ways of the, the lascivious wretch, who ruins both body and soul at once, and not content with his own destruction, ruins others with him. Cases that come under our observation in the daily newspapers, that assail us in our daily observation and hearing, are uh, they're too vile to be told. How often is our blood chilled with the sound of imprecation? How frequently our heart is made to palpitate with the daring impieties of the blasphemous. Now, now let us stop. Who maketh thee to differ? Let us recollect that if we live very near to Christ, we should have lived quite as near to hell if it had not been for saving grace. Some of you here present are special witnesses of this grace, for you have yourselves experienced redemption from these iniquities. Look back some four years. With, with some of you, recollect how different were your surroundings then to what they are now. Mayhap four years ago you were in the tap room, in the bar, singing the song of the drunkard as readily as any. Just a little while ago you cursed that Savior whom now you love. Only a few months have flitted over your head since you ran with the multitude to do evil, but now who maketh thee to differ? Who hath wrought this miracle of grace? Who has led you to the stool of the penitent and the table of communion? Who hath done it? Beloved, you are not slow to answer, for the verdict of your heart is undivided. You do not give the glory in part to man and in part to God, no. You cry loudly in your hearts, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You're washed. You're sanctified. You've been washed in the Redeemer's blood, sanctified with the Spirit. You've been made to differ. And you will confess it. You've been made to differ by distinguishing grace and distinguishing grace alone. That brings us to the halfway point of this message, roughly. We'll, Lord willing, get the rest of it uh, next time.
Thank you so much for joining with us. We have the works of other great men of God on this website, their stories, their words. We have North Korea audios. We have North Korea photo updates. We have Quran study, Muhammad study, prophecy study. And I don't mean that we are studying the Quran as a Muslim. We are studying it as a Christian to show you the problems in that book and in their leader. We go through the Bible. We have commentaries. We have lots of books, including several new ones. Just click on store. And then we have a blog that comes along with this uh, uh, every day, just about every day, not all the time. We have uh, Zoom meetings every Saturday night at 7 o'clock Central Time. Just send me an email, men. Let me know that you're interested in joining with us, and I'll send you an email in return and uh, show you and give you the link to join us on Zoom. 7 o'clock Central Time. That's Chicago time. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Lord willing, we'll be back real soon, and I'm looking forward to it. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Bye-bye.